Hi, welcome to Colonial Williamsburg, past and present on history.org. This is behind the scenes where you meet the people who work here. That's my job. I'm Lloyd Dobbins, and mostly I ask questions. This time I'm asking Jane Hansen, and at Colonial Williamsburg, she's a music interpreter, which is exactly what, honey? <laughs> well, it, it has several components, actually, because there is the performance component where you're actually, say, sitting in a home playing a harpsichord, as I might, or sing with the harpsichord as people come in. So there's the the sound element of interpretation, just as people walk in, they're hearing a sound of the 18th century. But then there's the verbal, as people walk in and say, what is that instrument you're playing? Well, then you have to tell them what it is, uh, why you're playing it, uh, why is it in this house, those kinds of things. Mm -hmm. uh, so it's really a com double component, if you will, to the job. Which do people care more about, hearing it or or learning about it? Well, I think the initial response is the hearing, obviously. Uh, I, I think of the With House or the Palace Ballroom. Those are two places where we uh, are in, this, in a situation where people come upon music interpreters, and there are five of us here at Colonial Williamsburg. And in that sense, the first thing they they sense is the hearing of the music. But then as they see you or they see the instrument, then for some people, uh, it's the curiosity. What is that? Uh, is that a piano? Uh, wh what is the, you know, what does it do? How does it work? So uh, it's, it's fun to kind of being, be able to put both those things together. Okay, I'm going to be just as curious as they are. All right. How is a harpsichord different from a piano. <laughs> that probably, if someone gave me a nickel for every time I had that question, I'd be rich. Oh. <laughs> but it is um, interesting. And you know, I was uh, I was a music major and I was a voice major, so I did I took piano from the time I was little. But I never in my mind put the name of the piano to uh, the fact that it plays piano, which means soft in music and forte, the full name of the instrument's piano forte, soft and loud. Well, then when you say, well, that's kind of a strange name for an instrument, why is the piano called a piano forte? Because the instrument that precedes it in the keyboard category, harpsichord, does not play soft and loud by touch, which the piano does. Anybody knows if they have a two-year-old and they have a piano in the living room, you tell the child not to press down hard on the keys or not bang on the keys because it's louder. Because in a piano, the strings are hammered. But preceding that, uh, about 300 years earlier than the piano was the harpsichord, which plucks its strings. And because of the nature of the instrument, it doesn't play soft and loud by touch. So that's the main difference. One, the harpsichord plucks the strings, piano hammers them. How do you pluck the string in a harpsichord? It's played basically the same way. Mm -hmm. Is that correct? Exactly. You, you press down on keys right. and something happens. Right, something happens. So what happens is at the back of the key sits a piece of wood, and that piece of wood has sitting towards the top of it and about the first half inch of it a pick that looks almost like the thorn on a rose bush. And as you press down on the key, that piece of wood, which is called a jack, lifts, almost like a seesaw. The front of the key is where you're pressing down. The back lifts that piece of wood. And as it comes up, that little pick, or, or plectra, plectrum, 
plucks the metal string inside and gives it the sound. Okay, so, so people you... immediately they come and they not they just don't want to know. They want to see it. Oh, okay. <laughs> they want you to pull it apart or take off the jack rail and say, "Where does that work?" You know that way. So. Yeah, well, it's a curiosity because mm -hmm. I assumed that it was a hammer type of thing, but it didn't hammer a lot. Yeah. That it was just right. sort of a soft hammering, yeah. so you got this soft, nice sort of sound right. that mellowed out. And, and our people often think of, you know, when they were kids and they'd open their grandmother's piano and put tacks on the felts, mm -hmm. and they got that sort of plucked sound, same kind of a sound you sort of get in harpsichord. Now, for me, harpsichord is also an introduction and singing to one of the few instruments that women played in the 18th century. Uh, we live in an age where we don't put instruments in a gender category. Uh, although I think of when I was a kid, and I'm in my 50s now, uh, that I don't remember girls in school, for instance, taking up tuba or trombone or <laughs> those kinds of instruments, which now any school band around the country, you'll see girls playing all of those instruments. So even in our lifetime, we do have these stereotypes of what's, what's for girls, what's for boys. Uh, but in the 18th century, it's more of a factor. Women were generally, and I say that generally because you can never say never, women generally wouldn't be seen with playing flutes or violins, instruments that were uh, a detraction to what was called the visage or the visage, as the French would say, the focus of a woman's beauty, her face, her neckline. And so instruments generally played by women would be keyboards or something held in the lap. I also play a little instrument called a guitar, English guitar, as we say today, but the English in the 18th century would just call it a guitar. Instruments that would show women off gracefully as they were playing music. So mm. it's also an opportunity to talk about that, uh, particularly to school groups as they come in, about, well, why would a lady not play a violin or a flute, for instance? So, Did, yeah. Okay, you're going to have to help me with this. Mm -hmm. uh, a professional musician I knew years ago a female in New York, was a, a fine cellist. Did women play, well, they didn't play violins, you've already said. Yeah, yeah. Did they play cellos and that sort of uh, thing? Usually not. Oh, and it okay. isn't because of what we think. Uh, cello, of course, held between the knees, uh, and in the 18th century without an end pin, but we won't get into that. Um, but what it is, is along with the idea of the focus of beauty here, is also the compass of your arms. And ladies, generally, the elbow was considered vulgar. That's why, even though the fashion was for shorter sleeves, a woman wears a shift that ties below her elbow so that her elbow isn't up in these awkward angles. And so we, we have another, we have a gentleman here who plays an instrument called a viola da gamba. It looks a lot like a cello, and that's what most people think when they see it. But it is an older family of instruments that come in all different sizes, just like the violin family. But instead of bowing overhand, as you think of when you think of a cello, the person's arm over the strings, it's bowed underhand. It's like you're taking your hand instead of being on top of the bow and putting it underneath it. Well, that is an instrument that a lady might have played, and we say that in 
earlier times, maybe the time when Jamestown was still the capital of Virginia. It is an older family of instruments, kind of dying out by the 18th century. So. And your elbow wouldn't show. Your elbow would be encompassed. Because compass. you're underhand. Yeah, that's right. Okay. Perfect <laughs> sense. Yes. Once it's explained. Right. Uh, personal question. Do you prefer vocals or instruments? Oh, vocals. Oh, really? Okay. Vocal that was for too me, easy, be, wasn't it? well, it's all right. Vocal music for me uh, was began as a pleasure, not a discipline, because I was singing from a very young age. Uh, it became a discipline as I studied it, um, but instrumental music was always a discipline, and in a sense, a harder discipline for me because I came from a. Uh, my first love of music was vocal, and it was easy, and it was, piano was my first instrument, was hard, because mm, okay. it didn't come naturally. It was something I had to learn. And, but now I'm very glad I pursued it and continued it and took it up again here, because I think it's, uh, it's special to be able to put the two together uh, in, in the situations that I mentioned earlier as I'm sitting in the with, because or at the palace, because in the 18th century in Williamsburg, you would rarely have what we would consider professional music making. Um, most people who were musical were doing it on their own. Most music you heard was done by your neighbor, your family member, your servant. Um, one of my favorite quotes uh, is from an old... Uh, an 18th century gentleman named Landon Carter. And he's here in town. He doesn't live here, but he's here in town. And he's making the observation, uh, how does it go, that there's a constant tooting from every window in town and the vocal <laughs> dogs complete the howl. He's talking about Lord Dunmore's dogs. So it sounds as if music making is a general racket almost uh, coming from people's windows. But, you know, there's a... There's a loss, I think, in our present day when we think of music. So many people um, don't play or don't sing regularly because they can just turn it on. Mm -hmm. And it becomes just part of life to be somewhere and music is just playing in the background. In but, that time, you had to be it. You were it. But for, for, uh, for balls and, and that oh, sort yes. of thing, now they had... Professional musicians, They right? did have some, yes. Uh, those who were professional musicians in Virginia in the 18th century kind of come in a couple categories. The one would be teachers, primarily. They, most of the people who lived in Virginia and were musicians made their living by teaching, which means that they were primarily men because Williamsburg, such a small town, didn't have a population that could support many music teachers full-time. Now, we have Peter Pelham, who was the organist at Bruton Parish Church, who lived here year-round. But he did other things, too. He was the jailer, for instance. He was the secretary for one of the governors, I think. Um, but uh, then you have, you have uh, servants who could be used also to play for a ball. There was a dancing master here who had what he called Fiddler Billy, who he paid to come along with him, a slave or a servant uh, who was uh, his, would play while he taught dance and when he had maybe an assembly at the Raleigh Tavern. We don't know who made up the musical component completely for a ball at the governor's palace. We know Peter Pelham was paid by Lord Botetot, one of the governors, 
uh, for sort of putting together a group of musicians for a ball, six to eight musicians. Who they were, we have no idea. <laughs> then the other would be the actors who were here periodically, and they traveled up and down the eastern seaboard, New York, Philadelphia, Annapolis, Williamsburg, Charleston. Did uh, We know Mr. Pelham, when the actors were here, was uh, brought in to be the musical director for the Beggar's Opera. Many of these actors were London-trained singers um, who uh, also taught music if they were also in another location. One of them was a man named Thomas Wall who taught guitar to young ladies in New York and in Annapolis. So we have those professionals too, but they are not residing year-round in Williamsburg. Well, I, I, well, that changes my view of balls in Williamsburg. I always thought there was sort of a core of professional musicians who sort of went from place to place and, and did balls, but obviously it wasn't. No, and I think part of it, the, the governor gave a ball, well, Lord Dunmore, for instance, gives a ball less than once a year while he's governor here. So, and it was usually at a certain time of year. So if you're a music teacher and you're teaching up in the Northern Neck or you're teaching out where uh, Thomas Jefferson lived in Albemarle County, you probably were well aware and you would be available, in other oh, words, okay. for that to be here. Yeah, I guess that is. You would, you would schedule yourself around when things were going now, to occur. Now, that's my speculation. I don't know that for certain, but I would suspect well, that would Well, that's you, and I just declare it's true. That takes care of that. All right. That's Colonial Williamsburg, past and present this time. Checkhistory.org often. We'll post more for you to download and hear.